Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. Earlier this year, an investigation published in The New Yorker magazine by Ronan Farah suggested that commercial spyware called Pegasus, developed by the Israeli firm NSO Group, is being used by governments in at least 45 countries around the world, including by U.S. and European intelligence and law enforcement services. The technology permits government agents to gain access to the contents of cell phones by exploiting flaws in device operating systems and software. Technology companies, including Apple and Facebook, have filed lawsuits against NSO over the Pegasus technology. But while the company claims it has turned down many customers over ethical concerns, activists and human rights defenders around the world continue to be targeted, with especially dire consequences in authoritarian states or countries where democracy is weak or precarious. Today, we're going to hear from three individuals in Bangkok, Thailand, pro-democracy activists who have seen their community targeted with Pegasus, part of a range of activities intended to discourage dissent and limit free expression. Thai dissidents learned their phones had been infected from emails sent from Apple from a no-reply account. An investigation into the extent of the Thai regime's use of Pegasus was published this summer by ILAW, a nonprofit organization concerned with human rights, freedom of expression, and advancing democratic reforms. Working in partnership with another Thai NGO, Digital Reach, and Canada's Citizen Lab, and with support from Access Now, the report includes an analysis of the extent of the infiltration and calls for reform. Let's get right into it with my guests. I'm Yingxip Achanon. You can call me just my first name, Yingxip. Uh, I'm working at ILaw as a program manager. ILaw is a local Thai NGO. We are focusing on legislative monitoring, and we are also monitoring freedom of expression violation and try to document them in our online database. My name is Lachapong. I work for ILaw as advocacy officers. And I'm so part of this investigation on Pegasus in Thailand. Um, my name is Darika. So I'm working with the Thai Net Citizen. So we are advocating for the internet freedom and uh, digital rights uh, in Thailand. But also I have another hat that I'm working with a regional organization that calls Security Matter. Um, that for the holistic security for um, civil society in Southeast Asia. So normally that I'm a digital security trainer for the activists. Well, I appreciate you all joining me today, and we're going to talk a little bit about Pegasus spyware, um, how it's been used to hack activists in Thailand, and what generally the situation is there, and go through some of the findings of the report that three of you have, have played some role in. I think it might be helpful to listeners if perhaps uh, one of you could give the lay of the land. Uh, what is the sort of political context that we're in at the moment? What is life like there, essentially? So basically, um, Thailand is a, like, is a country plagued with political instabilities. In 2014, we had, I think, about 13 or 14 coups. Um, so that ranked us one of the most country with the most coup in, in, in the world. And for the past seven years, we have been under the rules of the military government. And um, in the 2017, they have a referendum on um, the, the military draft constitutions, which 
like aim to preserve their power to in in like democracy in the so-called democratic government so they kind of orchestrated and referendums and um they maintain their powers after the election in 2019 and then in 2020s um there's an eruption of mass protests led by the youth students and these peoples are calling for monarch a monarchical reform which is kind of unprecedented in a country where like the monarchy is regarded as untouchables um so by openly criticizing the monarchy it is to shake the core of the thai conservative institutions and that scare off the thai elites so how we get to the pegasus is that um on november's last year's I think at least two dozens of Thai activists, scholars, and human rights defenders, as well as politicians, receive an email from Apple that their product, the iPhone, is being targeted by the state-sponsored attackers. So that's kind of a really like new things for us because we haven't heard anything about the spyware that have capabilities of hacking our phones. Um, we kind of trust the iPhone that we have, and then. Something just happened, so we kind of dig in. Know what is what is all about, and we found that it's a Pegasus spyware, which has been like a major scandal elsewhere in the world, except in Thailand. <laughs> so we haven't heard about this before, and this is kind of very like new things. It surprised us. So that's when we at the ILOs, two of our staff also targeted, also victims of this Pegasus, and then we started investigation on this and. And we try to go to the, I think like the suspected victims, and have their phone uh, analyzed to to do the forensic analysis, and we determine whether they were infected with Pegasus or not. And what we found is that at least thirty five people in Thailand were infected with Pegasus, um, and all of the timings of the attack appears to coincide with major political events such as protests. For example, after politicians talk about the monarchy in the parliament, um, they were infected with Pegasus. So it implies that the Thai government is somewhere in behind this um, attack. Dorica, do you want to jump in as well? Yeah. So probably I I can add on that I think the Pegasus spyware is kind of one of the the example that we we can see in terms of like I mean in terms of authoritarian um in Thailand as well. But I I would say that when I'm I'm thinking about like digital authoritarianism in in Thailand, so that is kind of the surveillance part is uh, one of the key factor. But also like another key topic that uh, the Thai government, especially after the the military coup in 2014, that have been using. So the, I think the first one is about like judicial harassment and then the prosecution. So that's why I think the I law that is kind of doing the documentation. I think that is the main tactic that the the Thai um, government is using for for I mean targeting the human rights defenders and uh, NGO in Thailand. And also another part that is about like the internet and media censorship. So I think this is kind of another element that is could be, I mean, uh, part of the, the ecosystem when we talk about like uh, digital authoritarianism in Thailand. And then for the serverland part, I think that I, I would add on in terms of it's not just only the, the 
I mean, at one, the biggest spyware, but also like the Thai government is also used a number of the tactics. Sometimes it's like the low tech, I mean, the low budget technologies, for example, like they use the GPS device, you know, to track the activity car. So that's kinds of the low technologies that is have been using um, in terms of the surveillance as well. And the biggest is kind of like, wow, it's a big thing that we haven't realized before until that we, we got the notifications from the Apple last year. So that is kind of like change the way of the, the activists. I mean, always think about like the, the surveillance in Thailand. I don't want to go into all of the detail here, uh, mm-hmm. but in the report, um, you also lay out how a series of, of kind of legal and policy changes um, have increased, you know, the government's capability uh, to engage in surveillance and has generally negatively impacted a freedom of expression. Are there a couple of key things that have happened, uh, perhaps at the legislative level or the regulatory level, that you think are particularly important to highlight? Probably for me that I think I will highlight from the Computer Crime Act, I think that is uh, one of the problematic um, the provision that uh, the authority uh, have been using. I think this is like have been using probably law can add more detail, especially after the, the coup in 2014. And also I think uh, what we have seen, especially in the last uh, two or three years, that they're using um, Computer Crime Act along with the Les Majest uh, Article 112. I think that is probably the key, the legal framework. Probably, Lachapong, um, you can add on that. And in your report, I see that essentially the revision to the Computer Crime Act, as the report says, allows state authorities to uh, summon any person to give statements, summon traffic data from service providers, order service providers to submit information on users, duplicate data from any system, decrypt the computer data of any person, seize or uh, attaching a computer system uh, for investigation. So a really broad authority for the state to essentially surveil uh, individuals that they may deem are working counter to their own interests. So let's talk a little bit about the sort of victims of the Pegasus infiltration, if you will. What can you tell me about uh, these 35 individuals, these activists, and what has been the implication for them? What has happened to them subsequent to the notification that they were under this surveillance? I think some of them panic when they receive the email from Apple and they post it on Facebook. This is how we know that this email is, is real. It's not in us. We, we, I think many of us thought first thought that it's just some kind of scam because um, an email is like, you, you cannot imagine this kind of thing. And then we see that, oh, many people got this and okay, so this might be real. But in terms of um, the level of anxiety, the level of anxiety that um, ensue after the, the, the knowledge of the Pegasus attacking, I think it depends on people because many of the activists, I think most of them already faced other kind of intimidate, intimidation from the state. They have faced some like physical intimidation. They have faced judicial harassment. They have faced like, police follow, following them around. I think many of the activists just think that it's just this is just another kind of intimidation by the state. They're not that concerned about it um, as much as like the physical violence that could like reach them at any time. But there's also other kind of people who like usually work in the background. They don't show their face to the public and the public doesn't know them. These people tend to be the one who like 
provide donations to the movement, to the democratic movement, um, they kind of panic because they always thought that um, the state doesn't know their existence. But then they just prove that the government authorities have a very good intelligence. They know that the financial flows, where it's going, where it's come from. And um, when they see, when they know that um, they are being attacked by the, the state, sponsor Pegasus spyware they just like get very anxious about it your report suggests that you've done this forensic review you've kind of i guess reverse engineered to some extent you know what happened on these people's devices and the report does go and list out uh, the individuals when they were likely infected what events were occurring in thailand uh, that were uh, perhaps associated with the timing of the infection are you able to definitively ascribe the use of Pegasus to the Thai government? Is that possible to do? I mean, I noticed in the report that the Thai government has, of course, denied that it's used Pegasus. Yeah, I think this is, it, this is very com- complicated because it is impossible to say that the government is behind Pegasus definitively because we don't have a document that proves that they are the one that hacked the, the phones of the victims. Um, but we have a contextual evidence that point to the Thai government. So the first one is that um, we know that the Pegasus is sold only to the government clients. Only government agencies could buy these kind of spywares. It's not that you and me, we hate each other and I just want to hack your phone because I want to know your secret. Even though I have like a billion dollars, I would be able to buy it because I'm not a government agency. So the first one is that the government agencies have to be behind this attack. And the second one is that we cannot imagine any other government wanting to attack, spend so much, spend like spend like $10 million just to hack a Thai activist. It, there's just no like reasonable, I think there's just no reason that, that that would prove this. And the third one is that there's a history of Thai government doing business with the NSO group which is the one who manufactured the Pegasus spyware. So I think these two or three reasons just prove, just point to the Thai government that they are somehow complicit in this hacking. So uh, even despite the you know specific documentation, the sort of smoking gun, it sounds like uh, both the contextual uh, information you have, as well as kind of the Occam's razor assessment of this um, points very significantly to the Thai government. Ying Chip, I want to bring you in to speak perhaps about the implications of this uh, for activists, um, how it's changed their behaviors and the way in which it has affected uh, the opposition. I'm actually one of the victims. I'm also one of the person who received an email from Apple and post it online. And then we start uh, looking for more information on what is Pegasus. And then we start working more on, on this. And then we know a lot. <laughs> um, it is also very difficult to change our online behavior. Uh, before uh, we know that Pegasus is, exists, we kind of uh, really aware of our privacy. Uh, many of us are using things uh, like VPN or two-step verification, whatever tools that exist in the digital security manual. I myself uh, wasn't a good one, but not a bad one. Uh, <laughs> I tried to exercise something. Uh, but 
if I have to do more, I think it also creates a lot of uh, burden for me uh, when we work or when we communicate. But uh, what Pegasus told us is nothing is private. Uh, everything we do, someone can know, uh, someone can access to it, anything. Uh, and and after we know that Pegasus is in our phones, then we first, uh, like during the first month, uh, we are kind of, uh, anxiety <laughs> okay the, the phone is here and then we um, put it away here you put it put it away for some times uh when we when we have to discuss something sensitively or uh when we like stay together and we are talking in some specific issues we have to say that oh no uh, don't talk because someone is listening uh in, in my phone things like this and uh, what I cannot really change is I cannot uh, take my phone away when living in my private life. Like in my bedroom, I still need it. Still need to play some games or check some emails or uh, watch some video clips before I go to bed. That's difficult. Then I have to live with it. Uh, I have to live with uh, awareness that even uh, before my bedtime, uh, even in the toilet, uh, someone is watching um, that's how I changed my, my life to, to be more aware uh, but I have to I still have to keep the phone with me are there others uh, that you know who received that email from Apple who have also had to change uh, their pattern of life or their behaviors are there, are there folks who've uh, maybe even been more extreme in their response than you have yeah we have heard that many of them change their phones uh, but later we know that it doesn't help so much. <laughs> uh, we know that some of them change their phone numbers, which helps for a while. Uh, someone keep changing his numbers. In a couple of months, he has to buy new SIM card, which uh, create a lot of burden for people to contact him <laughs> to find where he is. That's also annoying. In many meetings, uh, mostly uh, in uh, in the activist meeting uh, we have to keep the phone outside the room but there will be someone who disagree and try to bring the phone in the room this is confusing and and uh, create a lot of discussion in our community and there are individuals referenced in the report whose phones appear to have been infected more than a dozen times um, over the span yeah. of several months um, so it does appear that even once it's been discovered, you know, I guess like a, a bad infection, it continues to come back. Has there been any communication with NSO um, itself on the part of activists? Um, I know that you've had, you know, multiple NGOs and uh, other groups, Amnesty International, for instance, Thai Lawyers for Human Rights, others um, who have been essentially working on your behalf. Um, has there been any attempt to sort of go to the source on this? The NSO have no legal entity in Thailand. They have no official representative in my country. And we also learned that um, the NSO group often does not do, do business directly with the clients. They often do business through some kind of intermediaries, which is very hard to track. And from what we learned, like in the Western countries, the NSO usually outrightly denied any allegations and they'll just say that we have our policies that follow human rights standard and blah 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 um so we does not expect expect much from them <laughs> it's just 
yeah, I think we doesn't we, we we do not expect anything from the NSO group, but we uh, we expect from the government to say something. Even though we we actually got them to say something, though, because after we review our report, one of the MPs, op- opposition MPs, um, also talk about this in during the parliamentary debate, in the no confidence debate, and he accused the government of being behind this Pegasus, and one of the minister, the minister of digital. Economy and society. He admitted that they exist this kind of technology in Thailand, but it just not under his authorities. It just someone else do it. Um, someone else in the government do it. And then the next day, um, one of the ministers also come out and say that it is not the government policies to use the spyware against general publics. Which is kind of confusing and vague because who is general publics? Um, are the activists the general publics? So do normal people? Which means they public? are using against someone. They are using against someone, not the general yeah. public. Actually, spyware can cannot use against general public, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. And the next day, um, the same minister who said on the first day, who admitted on the first day, came out and say that, oh, I don't mean that. We don't have this kind of spyware. Yeah. So. It's kind of confusing, even though we think the government response is uh, weak. But we are pretty sure that they have. They does not expect this to be reviewed, and um, that's why their response is is not clear. Has there been any further word from Apple or from any other uh, technology firm? You got that original email. Have there been subsequent emails or uh, any effort by other tech firms to help to secure your phones? Uh, we um, not Apple, right? I, I I did try myself a couple of times, <laughs> but but um in the threat notification email it said don't reply, uh, like we cannot reply that email. So I um um innocently I try to contact I try to contact the Apple service in Bangkok, uh via their channels that they provide for customers, and I asked someone I the only question is. Uh, is this email true? Can you provide more information on the details of the uh, of the state sponsor attacker, and maybe someone who is behind that counter is a bot or something? And uh, we haven't received any response, any good response yet. Even the first question that is the warning email true, they cannot uh, answer me anything. So this is what re- response uh, from Apple so far. But for for NSO, um, NSO doesn't have a counter service for us to contact. <laughs> if there is one in Bangkok, I I would love to walk there, uh, myself, um, and ask them to show me something. But but we don't know how to contact them. So if they are listening, please give me some channel to contact to talk to you. Uh, I I would love to if NSO uh provide me some email or channel uh, to discuss more. If NSO knows that. Uh, you are not exercising uh, something wrong to violate my privacy. Just, just provide me some evidence or contact, please. Uh, I would love to talk to them. There's no genius bar for the NSO group, it seems like. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to get into a part of the conversation about what you hope could be done. Um, it sounds like, to some extent, you know, you've, you've learned to alter your behaviors as much as you can without yet giving up on the idea of having smartphones. And so you're, you're very aware that, you know, the device could be listening, tracking your movement, uh, et cetera. 
So I'd love to ask if there are other steps you imagine taking um, in order to protect your freedom of expression, your freedom of assembly, or, you know, uh, is this just sort of the status quo that you imagine living with now for uh, the foreseeable future? When people heard about this Pegasus virus, um, many people think about how to protect ourselves. Like, do we need to install this software? Do we need to um, enable this function in our phones? But um, the main problems about Pegasus is not a technical problem. The heart of it is a political problem. The Pegasus spyware is just a fraction of what Thai government is doing to um, suppress the freedom of expression. Even though we somehow find many magical measures to protect us against the spyware, there will be something else. They'll find something else to get to us. Um, so what we need to do is not, well, we also need to protect ourselves, but if you want to like have a, an actual solutions, we have to pass legislations. We have to increase the tra- transparency in the government. We have to increase the public scrutiny, scrutinies on the securities authorities, which has been like given free hand under the military government. They have operated in, sec- in secrecies and the public is shielded away from, from what they are doing. So we have succeeded in, in, in a way because after our revelations, the parliament just cut the budget of Royal Thai police who tried to buy another kind of despyware for, for $10 million. They have been cut in the parliament. But um, this is just like a stopgap. This is not long-lasting solutions. Our election is coming in the beginning of next year. And I think that will be crucial because if we're able to return to the to a real democracy in Thailand, it is the first step of the fight and, and we still need to do something more. Mm-hmm. So probably I, I can add on it. So like, I, I mean, as a digital security trainer that I would like to echo what Ying Shi has already mentioned, because for training that we have been like saying that you have to use like password, right? I mean, for the VPN or if like you have to communicate by using like signal application, these kinds of like end-to-end encryption. So, but this kinds of like the, the, the biggest spyware and then the big question for the individual activists that what can we do? And then they feel like really like hopeless and also like powerless as well when it's come to the level of that kind of the certificated um, spyware. But I would like to mention, I mean, this is the one of the, the example, I would say, because before the NSO, we know like the hacking team based in Italy, right? That is a one of the, the surveillance um, technology company that is kind of the support for the the authoritarian uh, government. So that's why I would like to highlight, I mean, in terms of the big topic, when we talk about unregulated surveillance technologies that give, I mean, because before no one care about like the small country like Thailand, we're not China, we're not like US, we're not like the, I mean, the Israel government. So what kinds of the level of technical that the government can do it? But this kinds of the the, the issue that is no need to talk about like how the government have the high 
tech person or like a tech team, but they just pay the money and then they can import that kinds of the, the technologies um, so then to, to use for their um, targeting the citizen. So that's why I would like to mention, I mean, add on for the um, Lachapong is already mentioned. So we have to do on like the collective effort the one thing about the, the national level, but at the same time, so because the Thailand is a one-off example for the, the biggest targeting, so we still have another country that have the experience as well. So I think that I would like to mention in terms of international level and then how we can regulate, I mean, the, that kinds of the surveillance technology companies or even the commercial, but they target to sell to the government. So I think this is, I mean, for now, that may be no more in SO after the US government is maybe the backlist or something, but it's going to be another and new uh, company after NSO, after the hacking team anyway. So I think that the big thing is like how the international level can discuss and bring this on the table. And then when we talk about like that kinds of the byware, we can say that is this the kinds of the weapon as well or not? This kinds of one of the weapons that we have to regulate or not? I think this is a big thing that we, I mean, for the international community that have to discuss on that. I think uh, I'm sure that, I mean, they already discussing about this topic as well. But I think in terms of the, the country in Southeast Asia or authoritarian country, I think that is a, is a big thing because it's not enough to do only our domestic um, advocacy because I think this one is quite really big topic that we, we need, like, I mean, a global collective effort on this. NSO Group is a company that operates in a democratic context, in a democracy. It It's offices and and people are largely uh, enjoying the fruits of the democracies that they live in. What does it feel like to be in a country that's struggling for its democracy um, and to know that essentially these other democratic uh, governments are are sort of allowing this company to exist uh, and to engage in these practices? Yeah, I mean, and especially for authoritarian country, like, I mean, in, in Thailand as well. And also, I mean, for me, when I'm thinking of the technologies like spyware, for the Pegasus, we know that it's not just only the authoritarian government are using this. Some of even the democratic country, like in European country, we have seen some of the example that the incident of the using the, the Pegasus spyware is already using that. And then also, and then we know that for the NSO that they have the good relationship with the uh, Israel government, which means that the government, their own government have to like sign off or approve before that they're selling these kinds of spyware for other countries, which means that in terms of like diplomacy and in the international relations, that is kind of involved on that. And that's why Kulashapong is already mentioned, it's not just about the technical level, but it's also the political landscape and also the international relations. And then I think that is a big thing behind. But once we talk about, I think the one thing when we talk about like living in authoritarian country, and that's why it's the difficult for us because we cannot ask for accountability transparencies from the government although we try so hard in terms of like the civil society community but when like we, we seem like we talk to the war we never get back or answer from the government or the state agency or do we try every single thing that we can do but this kind of like i mean living in the 
authoritarian country that's compared to the democratic society that uh, accountability and the transparency is a big problem for us. It has been reported that the FBI has it. The agencies of the United States of America um, who like claim that they are the beacon of democracy have it, but um, the demise of the NSO group right now because of their being backlisted by the U.S. government is not due to the awareness, the somehow like realization of the U.S. government that this is wrong. But this is just this is a great example of um, the power of the civil societies and individuals who believe in democracies. If you recall, the first agencies to expose the Pegasus scandals is the media. And then there are civil societies who investigated, who has been following the NSO group for years. That breaks all the news. And this put the pressure on the government, whether it would be democratic or authoritarian. This is an example of we the people have the power to do something right. If you believe this is wrong, um, I think democracy is not going to like pop out by itself, but we have to build it, we have to keep it, we have to scrutinize, scrutinize it, and um, we have to share it, share it, it, because we in, the, in an authoritarian countries like Thailand, we know that how precious democracy is, and without it, we, we are getting arrested, we are getting harassment. Let me ask you this. There are probably people listening to this uh, who are policymakers in the United States or in Europe, um, there are perhaps, as you say, uh, an SO executive uh, may be forced to listen to this podcast uh, to hear what claims are being made about that company. What would you say to them? Maybe I'll, I'll give each of the three of you uh, an opportunity to, to address those two audiences. What would you like uh, policymakers outside of Thailand to do? And what would you say to the NSO group or to the people that are, are working there and making a decision to do business with your government? I just want everyone in the world to acknowledge and be aware that Thailand is not a democratic country. <laughs> um, we are living under military rule uh, with a very close relationship with the monarchy. And um, there are a lot of human rights abuses in this country, regardless what the law said. They don't really care that the laws that may be most of them written by the military government, uh, whatever the law said, maybe they don't really care because they are the one who owns power. They own uh, power to write laws by themselves and they are they own power to uh, exercise the laws by themselves and they also take control of check and balance mechanisms so they can do anything. There are not only the Pegasus issue. There are so many other human rights violation issues in the country, including the exercise of laissez majesty law, uh, which can punish people for many years in prison for talking or criticizing the monarchy or calling for monarchy reform. And this is happening in the country for years. Whenever uh, people stood up and tried to fight against the regime, we face more intimidations. We face new kind of uh, human rights abuse. Uh, we we then we once uh, we we found out that okay we are facing this uh, intellectual Pegasus spyware. We also think that there are still more that we haven't known yet. 
um, there might be something else that the government is using. So, um, so uh, please look at this country as like our neighboring country like Burma, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, who are uh, facing the same situation that uh, the, the authoritarian government is doing um, whatever uh, that, that they want to stay in power. For the Western democracies, what I want to say to them is that um, with the advanced, rapid advance of technologies, we have been thrown into some kind of chaotic situations because there's no rules to regulate these kind of technologies. And our rules is not keeping up with these technologies. So I think what we are facing right now is that we lack a real leadership to tackle this challenge. And as long as, so given all the geopolitical things that are happening right now, anyone who wants to claim that they will be the leader of this um, new era of the world, they will have to propose, they will have to be, they have to lead, they will have to come up with some ideas for us, for some framework for us to live with these technologies, which can be like double-edged sword. We have to get to some kind of memorandums for people to sign to ensure that this technology would be used for the benefit of the mankind, not to suppress people, not to put people into jail, not to monitor, not to know where they're going to sleep this night, where they, where they were last night, or what they're going to eat these dinners. So, but for the NSO group, I have nothing to say to them, just because they don't want to say to us. <laughs> for me, that I would say this, like, so when the technology changes over time, right? But the target of the government and the state often stay the same. I mean, we don't know what sort of the technology in the future we bring, like hatching and advanced, and I mean, even better, um, better than this. But we do know today, I mean, taking the example of Thailand, Myanmar, or many um, um, authoritarian regimes, that the same individual or the group of the people, the human rights organizations that the authoritarians or even the state see as the threat are being targeted again and again by new the technology software or like, I mean, the, the, that kind of the development of the technology is getting more advanced and more certificated over time. So that's why if I may say to the, I mean, international communities like government and also for the, the tech companies, I think the tech companies should be one of the key actors for this as well. So that how we can talk in terms of the accountability of the technologies. And also we have to like highlight in terms of the business and human rights, especially when we have to uh, regulate for the private company and then do not like normalize that kind of the surveillance uh, practice and technology. I think that is a big issue for the international community. Well, I wish you all the absolute best, and I hope that some of those individuals that you've named are listening, and perhaps that they will wake up tomorrow and do something different, uh, perhaps empathizing uh, with you and with your situation. So thank you for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Justin, for hosting this. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to Article 19's Michael Castor for his help on this episode. 
Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones, and thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.